0: Welcome to Song and Plants. My name is Carmen Porter. This episode is all about Humulus Lupulus. I was joined by Nathan Vadeboncoeur of Project Hop and Brasserie du Bon Temps. Both of his projects dive deeply into the science, history, and art of hops and beer making. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hello, welcome to Song and Plants. Would you mind introducing yourself?
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. My name is Nathan Valbonco and I'm uh, the, the brewer at Basque du Bon Temps and Project Hop, a little microbrewery here in Vancouver, BC that's exploring hop terroir.
0: You say hop terroir, what does that mean?
1: Yeah, it's... A good question, especially for for English speakers, because sometimes when you see terroir, people think, "What hop hop terror? That sounds horrible." But what terroir is is it's a term that's used in the wine industry that refers to the unique flavors and aromas that come from growing the same plant in different regions. So, in wine, you know, you might have a uh, Bordeaux from southern France, or you might have a Cote d'Azur from kind of southeastern France, and growing the same grape in these different regions will give you different flavors and aromas that are well known and sought after in the wine industry. And the same thing um, goes for hops because it's an agricultural product. There's a lot of variety and variability that gets into the plants based where they're grown and it's something that the industry hasn't really explored yet. But with the explosion of, of independent farmers all over the place, there's a real opportunity at this particular point in the history of beer to really go into uh, exploring hop terroir and seeing what kind of unique flavors and aromas uh, might be out there for the next IPA.
0: Interesting. So let's talk a little bit about hops and how does the plant
1: grow? Hops are a a really fantastic plant that is just an absolute rocket of a a grower. So they're, you know, from that, you might, you get that they, they grow up, they're climbers. And so in a hop yard, you'll have trellises about six meters high or about 20 feet high, and you'll have a string, kind of like a telephone pole, uh, like a wire with strings coming down to the ground. And in the spring, the hops will come out, they'll send out a bunch of shoots called bines, and these will wrap clockwise around the bind and they'll grow up to the top and then kind of hang back down. So at their their peak growth, they might grow, you know, 10 or 15 centimeters a day, that's up to six inches a day, and they'll just shoot up until um, the solstice. They're a very photosensitive plants. So once they're they're really big and tall, they'll then start uh, after the solstice starting to put out these lateral shoots and it's on these lateral shoots that the flowers or the hop cones will grow. And that's uh, what we harvest and use for brewing.
0: Oh, interesting. When you say trellising, is there an option for somebody who wants to do just home growing? What kind of structure would you use?
1: There's been some really interesting things people have done. I've seen people who have a plant at the bottom of the deck and have it come up the front and then turn and go in a line up to the the eaves. So they've got a kind of covered patio in hops, which is pretty cool. Uh for me, I rent a two-story duplex and I just go up to the the roof there and tie a a rope to where the gutter attaches to the uh to the building. If you don't want to put it in the gutter itself because they're quite heavy and might yank it off. So put it on the anchor there and then bring it down to the ground and anchor it in with a with a stake. So I've got six hop plants that grow up to the second story and then all over the roof and then hang back down and we get a, a big wall of hops on the house.
0: Oh, wow. And I guess because they're vines, they don't have tendrils. So you might not have the issues of a vine on your house.
1: Yeah, which is is really nice to, to get them off. You just go up on the ladder and you cut the rope and toss it in the ground. Then that's it. Uh, harvest your hops and cut it back uh, right to the ground at the end of the year. And it'll come back uh, next season without, you know, sticking to your house and creating a big mess.
0: Fantastic. So propagation methods.
1: Yeah. So there's two different ways that you can propagate a hop. If you're really into uh, experimenting, you can try and pollinate them. They can be propagated through open pollination, taking seeds, but kind of like apples. If you propagate hops through seed, you have no idea what you're going to get. So it might not be good, you know, like apples. So if you really want to propagate uh, what you do is just dig into the ground, take a rhizome cutting, and then then plant that and propagate clones uh, of one another. That way you're sure that what you're going to get is the variety that you want. But if if you want to really experiment, you can definitely get a male plant in there and, and have them pollinate. But then what that'll do is is ruin your crop. If they get pollinated and start to seed, then the quality decreases quite a lot.
0: Okay. Fascinating. You said that they die right down to the ground. Do they do well in northern climates? Can they tolerate the snow? Do yeah, they need a, to have a cold period?
1: They're, they're a pretty bomb-proof plant. They, they love growing to get the best quality in temperate climates right around the 49th parallel. And so that's kind of the Hallertau in Germany, uh, in southern England, um, in the Czech Republic, and then right along the Canada-US border. The, the biggest hop region in the world is the Yakima Valley in uh, the Pacific Northwest of the US and Washington State. Oregon grows a lot of hops. British Columbia uh, had the biggest hop industry in the world, but that's fell away in the, the mid-20th century. It's starting to come back now. So that's kind of the band of, of climate and, and latitude that you want. And as far as temperature goes, they're good up to 40 Celsius, probably a little over 100 degrees Fahrenheit in the summer. And in the winter, they can withstand temperatures up to minus 40. Uh, at that point, Celsius and Fahrenheit are, are the same. I think they, they even out at minus 38 so they're very, very resilient plants. They've got deep roots that can go down, you know, eight meters and find the water table. They can go out horizontally and, and find, uh, find moisture if they need. So they're, they're pretty tough to kill. But if you want them to, to produce really great plants, and of course you have to take care of them, make sure they get a lot of nitrogen. A big mature hop can go through a kilo of nitrogen in a season. So it takes uh, a lot of food.
0: Wow. You mentioned not having a male. So they're mm. female and male plants. Can you yeah. e- explain why you wouldn't want a male?
1: If you have a male, uh, I guess there's two problems. One, from an agricultural perspective, it will pollinate females and cause them to seed. And it'll, it'll ruin that crop so that it won't be saleable. No one will really want to purchase that. Back in the day, what some less uh, scrupulous farmers would do would be intentionally introduce a male, then it would pollinate the crop. The quality would be down, but it would be heavier. So they'd be able to make more money because they're selling by weight. But if you want quality hops, you want to avoid the male. So commercial hop yards are all uh, all female plants. And the other reason that you don't want it is because hops are a, a very aggressive plant. Their name, Humulus lupulus, means the the earth wolf. And they're called the the wolf vine or the wolf vine because they would climb on bushes and other plants and, and strangle them and, and choke them out. In areas where we're introducing this you know, really aggressive plant, we want to be sure that we're being ecologically responsible not letting out um, a bunch of hops into the wild to choke off you know the native ecosystems that have high uh, you know or at least higher biodiversity values especially when we've got you know cities that are that are encroaching on nature we want to make sure we're we're responsible uh, hop farmers
0: but there are some native hop species to North America
1: yes there are they're they're a bit different from the the commercial varieties they don't grow as fast or, or yield as much we've bred' these kind of you know Super hops, uh, but yeah, there are uh, native varieties that have been been crossed with some of the old European varieties to form, you know, what we know today as uh, as the commercial hops. And I think certainly those those exist in the wild in balance with with the ecosystem. And I think I mentioned the the ecological effects because, as in British Columbia, for example, hop farming is expanding, and there are so many hops in a lot of different regions where there there weren't before like outside of the Fraser Valley for example up um, in house Sound where there's more kind of higher elevation uh, ecosystems that that didn't traditionally have hops some people are concerned that having hops growing in these regions could have environmental impacts I, I don't know exactly to what extent that would be but if you're you know growing next to a salmon bearing stream and there's important uh, habitat there there there's some some environmental sensitivities around that how how empirically valid those those concerns are. I'm not sure, but it is uh, a part of the conversation, at least uh, up here.
0: Absolutely. May as well not take a chance. So what part of the plant is consumed?
1: So th- any part of the plant, depending on the stage of growth, can be consumed. A long time ago, 2000 years ago, Romans would eat the uh, hop flour that we now use uh, for beer as a vegetable. And even today, people eat hop shoots, kind of like, like one would eat asparagus. So when the hop just start to, to sprout and the shoots are about a foot long. Um, you can saute them up like asparagus and eat them. And once they grow uh, longer, they you know, these used to be used uh, as rope in in the medieval times. So they're, you know, you wouldn't want to eat them at that stage, but a lot can be consumed. And so what some people are doing now that, you know, hop is hops are entering a lot more of the public imagination with, with craft beer. And even with the slow food movement, and you have some restaurants that are taking some of the first the first shoots and they're creating these seasonal hop dishes around them and then when the, the shoots if you cut them off they'll, they'll grow back straight away and those ones will go up and be trellis so some people are getting multiple use out of their uh, their hop crops i've not eaten the the vines yet other than just at home but i'd love to go uh have a professional uh, hop bind meal with with a, a hoppy beer i think that'd be a pretty cool experience
0: yeah that sounds really exciting and i guess if it's a very vigorous plant as well it wouldn't be affecting the growth to be harvesting early shoots.
1: Yeah, and a lot of uh, farmers want to harvest the shoots early because they want to control the timing of their uh, their harvest, just so that it you know it fits with their their production schedules. So depending on the season, hops will start to emerge around the 49th parallel, at least on the west coast here, where it's it's more temperate in you know late February to mid March, and to make uh, the harvest easier what a lot of people a lot of farmers will do is let them grow till about April 1st and then just cut them straight back to the ground and then once you grow back from that trellis them and have everything on the same schedule so they're already doing some cutting so if you can uh, if you can take those cuttings and, and sell them to a restaurant you might as well.
0: Absolutely and how important is cultivar selection?
1: Yeah I think it, it's it's very important to look into what Not only the demand is in your region, but what type of environmental conditions, which is not just temperature and precipitation, but also what kind of soil conditions you have, because different hops perform very differently under different conditions. Even here in British Columbia, there's uh, big differences between what grows well in the Fraser Valley, in uh, the Pemberton Valley, and uh, on Vancouver Island. Some crops that are close to the ocean uh, are really prone to getting downy mildew, so some of the varieties like goldings do very poorly in those uh, uh, environments. So growing a different one like nugget would probably be better. Um, and then in, in other regions, you just have a variety that gets it for whatever reason. It, it likes you know the soil, it likes the microbes that are in the soil, it likes the climate, and it produces you know an excellent version of a hop. There's a variety called comet that in the Fraser Valley is a really great citrusy kind of grapefruity aroma that comes out of growing it here. But if you grow it in Oregon, it's it's more of a kind of just a, a, a grassy, vegetal, bittering hop. So the Fraser Valley comma is is really desirable for making, you know, IPAs and pale ales and big, you know, hoppy beers. Whereas in, uh, in the Oregon variety is used mainly as, as kind of an early addition just for bittering with uh, different flavor and aroma additions added later.
0: <laughs> Have you heard of tea maker hop? I haven't it's one that is supposedly used more as a, well, tea making it's low on the bitters, but again, I wouldn't know how it would be in different regions because when I've read about it, the descript flavor profile has been different from different uh, nurseries.
1: Yeah. And I think that's where the, the science and art of, of farming and, and marketing combines, you know, there's on the one hand, there's, some consistency between varieties but on the other i think with you know as my work in in terroir has shown there's there's so much difference between a variety depending on on where it grows and i guess where this comes into play and and why that's important for hops and how that relates to you know what tea maker hops may actually uh smell and taste like is that until probably the year 2010 virtually all the hops you could get this is over 90 percent were produced by four big companies that would have a lot of uh, different farmers uh, under contact with them. They'd take all the hops of a certain variety, they'd test them, and they'd blend them to make sure that every year they got a consistent product. And so a Cascade always smells like a Cascade, a Chinook always smells like a Chinook. But as the craft beer movement got really popular through the 2010s and IPA became super popular, we ended up in between 2014 to 2016 having these quasi global hop shortages, where there was huge demand that jacked up the price and supply was met because people just dialed back, uh, you know, the big bittering hops. But what happened was there were hundreds of small independent farmers that popped up on, you know, one acre, five acres, 30 acres of land here and there and started trying to bring their hops to market. And some of them are great, some of them weren't. You know, there's a lot of, you know, chicken farmers would just start growing hops, but you need to know a lot about the plant to really get the best performance out of it. But what we saw was that different regions were really starting to produce this terroir, these different flavors and aromas. And in 2016, before you know, Project Hop was a, a brand at a brewery, I was working with a friend who's a microbial geneticist. and We went to different farms around the province, taking tissue samples of the hops, taking soil samples, doing a, a microbial DNA analysis to see what microbes were in there, looking at climate uh, and soil type variables. And what we saw was that the very same variety of hop, not only in different farms, but in different places growing in the same farm had very different flavors and aromas when looked at kind of subjectively by sending this to brewers to evaluate, but also when looked at, at in the lab, the types of, of oils like mercine, uh levels, for example, it's the most easily detectable one by people, Myrcene levels of a certain variety of hop were wildly different between different regions and even different between different parts of the same farm. And so if people say tea, tea maker hops, have different flavor and aroma profiles. It could be because they legitimately do when they're grown in different regions, or it could be, you know, if you just the, the subjective uh, assessment of the hops. If you give something to you know ten different brewers, you'll get you know ten different ten different answers. They might be similar, but they they still might mm-hmm. be, uh, you know, they won't be be exact.
0: Yeah. So you said checking what the microbial life is in in the soil in specific areas can affect the content of the hops yeah is that link something along the lines of what nutrients are being made available by the microbial life in the soil
1: that's what we think we haven't gone in depth enough to really quantify what it is but what we have found is there are different categories of, of microbes some that are pathogenic and some that have a, a more positive symbiotic relationship with these plants and there are, are some types of of microbes that really love phosphorus and so they colonize the roots of the plants and they take up a lot of the phosphorus and starve the hop of those nutrients and so those hops that are kind of phosphorus deficient will have a different profile than those that, that have lots of phosphorus and there's, and there's a lot of different you know other types of, uh, of, of uh, relationships going on that we haven't quantified but one of the things that we saw was you would have some um, hop farms and for some reason particularly organic hop farms that would have these uh, phosphorus loving fungi colonizing their roots and people would test uh, the leaves go it's phosphorus deficient so they would just keep adding more phosphorus and they created this massive imbalance where they're just feeding this kind of uh, pathogenic microbe in the roots of their plants whereas other farms that didn't have it didn't have these big phosphorus inputs but had a higher concentration of that in in the tissue of the plant and that affected the way it it grew and developed and, and produced the uh I guess, mosaic of terpenes uh, in the oils that gave it its, its unique aromas. Huh.
0: To go into a little bit about the aromas and the flavor profile, you hear about alpha and beta acids. What mm-hmm. is that?
1: Alpha and beta acids are compounds that produce bitterness in beer. So hops, if you just eat one, it's bitter. If you dilute that in beer, it's it's not not that bitter. So what happens when you add hops to beer is you have to add it when they're boiling because those, the exposing alpha acids to that kind of temperature creates a process called isomerization where the acids become more soluble um, in water and the compounds that create perceived bitterness come out. So the higher the percentage of alpha acids relative to total oil, in a hop the more bitter it's going to be and the longer you boil that for the more bitterness is going to get in the beer and beta acids don't isomerize uh, as quickly as alpha acids so the longer that a beer sits with these oils in it um, the more that bitterness comes out so if you have a hop that's say very balanced in alpha and beta uh, acids say eight percent alpha eight percent beta if you boil it you're going to get these alpha acids extract into the beer and over time these alpha acids uh, are going to degrade and the beer would lose its, its some of its bitterness and its hoppiness. But at the same time, these beta acids would start to, to make up, uh, they'd start to pick up the slack and you'd get a contribution from them. And so over time, when you have a, a balanced hop, you'd end up maintaining, I guess, more, more shelf stability in the flavor. Most hops aren't balanced. They're much higher alpha, much lower beta. So hops over time, a beer tends to, a hoppy beer tends to lose its aroma. Uh, and lose some of its bitterness. That's why people want to drink um IPAs fresh. So if you're if you're a brewer, alpha and beta acids are really kind of the the bitterness indicators. But that's not uh, so much where where the flavor comes from. Flavor comes from um, the terpenes in the oils. These are these aromatic hydrocarbons that that create you know what we perceive as you know a citrus or a grassy or herbaceous or, or floral aroma. There's hundreds of of terpenes in in hops, but the most prevalent ones and the ones that people can detect um, the most easily are uh, humulene, myrcene, caryophylline, and farnesene, And these give us that, you know, depending on the ratios, the, the impression of, you know, citrus or stone fruit or, uh, you know, a more floral or even kind of spicy uh, characteristic.
0: Oh, fascinating. So if you do a cold infusion of the... Hops, like adding them after the fermentation process. Are you going to avoid the alpha and beta acids and get more of the terpenes?
1: You're going to get more terpenes. You're going to get some alpha and beta acids, but but not very much. And that's, I'm glad you brought that up because that's that's one of the, the key variables that brewers manipulate to try and, and produce a certain aroma and flavor profile of a beer. So when you're you're brewing beer, you'll, you know, you, you steep grains in water between. 60 and 70 degrees Celsius for an hour that uh, activates these enzymes that break down the starches into fermentable sugars. And then you drain this off and put it in a big kettle and you boil it for between 60 and 90 minutes. To try and calculate the bitterness, you look at how much alpha acids are in your hops, how much of these will be isomerized over, say, an hour boil. And you do what's called an early boil addition right at the beginning. You put in some hops, these will boil, and as they're you know, the oils are subjected to, you know, temperature and time and the uh, ruling boil. The flavors and aromas are, they boil off and they're lost, but the alpha acids are isomerized into, uh, into the beer, and that gives it the bitterness. And when you want to add flavor and aroma, you add things late in the boil. So you only get a partial isomerization and a partial offgassing gassing of, of the terpenes. Uh, so you add right up to the end of the boil. You'd even cool it down, and do what's called a whirlpool addition. You bring the temperature down to 80. Uh, celsius so there's hardly any uh any assimilation of the acids and you use a a recirculating pump to swirl the water around you add some hops it extracts the oils then you ferment the beer uh, and as you ferment it again uh, the the yeasts through a process called biotransformation you know change one you know terpene into another and they rearrange kind of molecularly rearrange um, the the hop oils and you get you know a different aroma so if you want a particular hop aroma what people do is called a dry hop addition which is after the beer is fermented you just open up your fermenter and you toss in more hops and you close it and then these dried hops just sit there and soak into the beer and very few uh of those oils are lost they don't off gas because it's not this vigorous boil or this vigorous fermentation if you've ever seen a beer fermenting it's just it's 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 quite a violent uh (laughs) quite a violent process it's it looks like if you use a we use big stainless steel uh, tanks at a brewery, but if you're a home brewer, you'd have a, a glass carboy, like a 20 liter or five gallon carboy, and you can just see it just churning and bubbling and, and spinning in there as the, the yeast digests the sugars. And so that process, you know, releases a lot of CO2 that takes with it uh, a lot of the aromas. So yeah, so anyway, that's, that's, that's my long answer for how, how flavor uh, gets into beer from hops.
0: That's great. Thank you. I'm going to ask you a little bit about the history because you were talking about the, the flavors. Beer hasn't always used hops.
1: No, beer is uh, is one of the world's oldest drinks. It's it's been around for at least seven thousand years, maybe even maybe even twelve thousand, uh, if you can call alcoholic porridge beer. Um, <laughs> and, and actually, as a, as a cool side note, do you know that the first currency? Was beer tokens in in Mesopotamia, where people would work in exchange for tokens they could uh, turn in for beer?
0: I did not know that.
1: <laughs> and uh, the straw was also invented for beer, because beer again in in Mesopotamia was brewed by taking water and some steep grains and some you know, old fruit and some uh, bread as the magic ingredient uh, to get some extra yeast and then get it fermenting. And so you know, I could you can imagine you know four or five thousand years ago people are drinking beer and go, you know this is great but you would be really great not having a bunch of pieces of soggy bread uh, <laughs> in the beer and so the straw which is just like a hollow piece of straw like the the stock of a grain was put into the beer so people could uh could have their tipple without sucking down a bunch of soggy bread like uh, as many ducks and the straw was invented so all this beer that's this was was not hopped it was just you know what Kind of fermentables were around, what kind of sugars people could find from from fruits and from steep grains, toss in some bread and off you go. Um, and as beer evolved into something that you know, we would recognize today, uh, it still wasn't hopped because hops were typically used either as, as a vegetable or used as rope. But around 1100 years ago, there's some evidence that hops were were starting to be used in beer in the medieval period, a lot of wood was gathered by hand. And so, you know, people would would boil a beer long enough to pasteurize it, but they wouldn't boil long enough to really get the isomerization of of, uh, the acid. So it wasn't used very widely until maybe right around the year 1100, when a uh, Benedictine sister, Hildegard von Bingen, convinced monks to add uh, hops to beer and boil them for a while because she thought this would create some kind of positive health benefits. And as it turned out, hops uh, have antimicrobial properties that help to preserve the beer, uh, make it last longer. And actually, uh, people discovered at the time, uh, it also made it taste pretty good. So people started adding, you know, more and more hops to beer, not only as a preservative, but as a flavoring. And that's thanks to, at least in in the Belgian brewing tradition, which expanded throughout Europe, thanks to Hildegard van Bingen, who was a... uh, wrote one of the first kind of scientific health food treaties where she would go around, you know, tasting all kinds of things and doing all kinds of different research and trying to figure out how we could kind of systematize medicinal plants. And fortunately for her, the abbey where, uh, where she worked had hops that were used for rope and they also brewed beer. And she said, why don't you just add some of these hops to the beer and see what happens? And they did. And uh, the modern hoppy beer was born. <laughs>
0: That's fascinating. I have read that hops has a fairly long history of medicinal application as well, a sedative, yeah, and, and
1: absolutely. And as a sleep aid, like you said, with the, with the tea maker hops, I'd, I'd heard that before, but I didn't know if that was a brand or an actual uh, varietal. But yeah, it's, I've I've grown some hops and given it to uh, a neighbor who's used them in, in tea at night. Uh, it says he says it helps him sleep. I just, you know, I'd rather have a beer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think tea maker was actually also used as an animal like a a animal food because it's quite high in nutrients.
1: Oh yeah I could see that poor animals eating their uh, their hops because we at at the brewery we um, when we were done with our you know steeping the grains we drain them we've got all this you know this slightly sugary uh, you know spent grain left over and we just put that in a in a big vat, and a farmer comes and picks up and feeds it to his cows. But if there's hops in it, the cows don't like it. So, given given a choice, the cows uh, won't take their medicine.
0: <laughs> Although I think that particular one, because it's low in the alpha and beta acids, is probably going to be less bitter.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. And well, I think I'm- it
0: was secondary that people actually started using it as tea. I think it's a cultivar that's been developed somewhat recently.
1: Nice. That's interesting. I'll look into that. That's, that's uh, that is really interesting. It's, it's, it's fun to see how these things come up and how we discover these different, you know, uses and varieties and coffee was discovered by goats, I think. Really? Yeah. I think it was, as the story goes, as how much is myth, how much is history? I don't know. But uh, I think as the story goes, there was a a shepherd in pick up in the, the plateau in Eastern Africa, either Kenya or Ethiopia, who was uh, a goat herder, maybe shepherds are just for sheep. And his goats, you know, goats go around and nibble all kinds of things, but they kept nibbling this one plant and getting like, you know, super amped up after eating it. And so he ate some of the coffee beans. Like, oh, this is kind of nice. And realized, you know, there's, there's a discovery of caffeine and, you know, one thing led to another and hundreds and thousands of years later, uh, we've got uh, coffee as we know it.
0: Yeah. A lot of people can't do without it.
1: No, well, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I, I try and go coffee less sometimes, but I just really enjoy it.
0: The flavor is nice. The Especially flavor. if you like bitters.
1: Yes. And <laughs> in my case, I there's a cafe just down the street, like a hundred meters from where I live, and I give them beer and they give me coffee. So I get I get free coffee from a, a cafe slash roastery. So it's really hard for me to to justify to myself why I should stop drinking coffee. <laughs>
0: that sounds like a pretty good deal for both of you.
1: It is a good deal.
0: So tell me about your, the projects that you're currently working on.
1: Yes, there's two uh, two things. One is the uh, Brasserie de Temps, which is good cheer brewing in French. is a historical uh, story behind that, but I won't digress. But that, that part of that brand uh, of the brew recreates historical styles from throughout the history of beer, from back to ancient Egypt through to the modern day. And the other one is Project Hop, which is exploring hop terroir. So what we're doing is we're making uh to start these terroir mixed packs so what we'll do is we'll brew one big batch of, of hopless beer so we'll steep the grains we'll pull it off into big kettle we'll boil it you know i guess just pasteurize it and, and and let some of the 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 off flavors that that are in in the malts because they're they're very well modified but not completely modified so we'll get some of those things off gas and we'll we'll split that batch into four so we'll drain off You know, we'll make two thousand liters We'll drain off 500 liters into another kettle and we'll add hops from one region, say like Chinook cotton cascade from one region and put that into a fermenter. Then we'll pull off another 500 liters and add Chinook and cascade again, but from a second region and put that off into a different fermenter and then do it for a third region and a fourth region. And so what we end up with is this mixed pack. We get like four, four tall boy, like, you know, pints, cans, and it's exactly the same beer. It's, you know, the same batch. Everything's the same. The hop varieties are the same. They're just from different regions and then when you pick up one of these mixed packs you can see for yourself the difference in flavor and aroma that comes from growing the very same variety of hop in different regions so we're trying to trying to get out and, and show that to the market and see see what people think the hops themselves they, they smell very different uh, when you have them side by side and when you put them in beer they you know you can you can tell but it's nice to have this side by side by side by side comparison so every month we're going to release a new mixed pack showcasing terroir of different regions and then on the side just try and find you know the the best hops from a given region create a beer around that and then uh, you know long term we just want to iterate through all these different hops from all these independent farmers find the best ones and just produce some some really cool unique beer.
0: How do you find the different farmers?
1: Instagram has been a great starting place. And from there, you know, you get into kind of the, you know, the local growers associations and you can can talk to people there and it, it kind of snowballs. But it, it started uh, just on Instagram. And I just slide into their DMs and say, hey, here's what I'm doing. I'm looking at all these different types of hops. Now I say I'd like to brew with them. Before I um, before I was brewing, it. I just said, hey, I want to just quantify it. So I'd get people to send me, you know, small samples. And then I'd take these samples around and just hit the pavement and went, into a bunch of different breweries and said, Hey, I'm exploring hop terroir. Here's what that is. Can talk to the brewer and the brewer would come out and say, sounds cool. And I'd come back later and meet with, you know, the brewer and, and their team. And we'd go through these blind hop samplings, right? Give them just a bunch of numbered hops and say, you know, smell these and, you know, write down the characteristics you get, what kind of hop you think it is. So people would have, you know, five or six hops. You can only smell so many hops before you get kind of sensory overload. You smell five or six hops and go, oh, this is cool. I like this one. Oh, I don't like that one. Oh, this one's really different. And go, oh, what is it? And I'd, at the end, I'd do the big reveal. Oh, they're all the same. And people would be like, what? That's crazy. But from different places. Like, oh, it's so cool. And at first, I was like, hey, do you want to brew with them? So I was thinking maybe I'd, you know, the business would be um, this kind of independent hop farmer clearinghouse right where we we do all the legwork to say what the own are, so the brewers who are busy and have their own supply chains to manage don't have extra work but you know people people were a little reticent about you know getting out of their production schedule schedules and trying new hops and then covid hit and everybody wanted to renegotiate how much they were buying because their you know demand was uncertain and that idea kind of collapsed but it was a it was a cool idea i think to brew uh terroir beer a lot of people liked it so i ended up contract brewing small batches at, at a brewery here in Vancouver. People liked it. And so I uh, took the plunge and, and started a small brewery that that does exactly this. So hopefully people like it.
0: How can people find you? Is there any way people can taste your product?
1: Yeah, we will be in stores in British Columbia in uh, November. I hope that we have our first batches ready. I just don't have a canning line yet. It's, it's finished, just finishing being built. So hopefully we get that packaged and out by the end of November, but people can, uh, can check us out uh, on Instagram at Project Hop or uh, online at uh, projecthop.beer.
0: Perfect. And I'll put all the links in the show notes. Thank you. And if you have any more that you want to include, just let me know.
1: Right on. Yeah. Sounds good. I think that's, I think that's good. Gotta Got to hurry up and update my website.
0: <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been been fun to talk ops.
0: Thanks for listening. As mentioned, all links are in the show notes. If you have any questions, comments, or you just want to connect, head over to CarmenPorter.com.